Thanks, Kate and worship team. Good morning, church. Yes, it's good to see you all here. Glad you're here. If you're joining us online, glad to have you joining us that way. Uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 in just a minute. I'm actually going to start in Genesis, but we'll get there eventually. But feel free to go ahead and turn there in your own Bible if you want to do that. Um, just a quick uh, reminder that next Sunday afternoon is our annual all-members meeting. Uh, we do this every January. And I want you to think of this more of like a state of the union time together. It's a time together as um, the, the family of God here at Solid Rock. And we look back over the last year and take inventory. We celebrate the high points. Uh, sometimes we grieve the low points, but we just look back over the last year of all that God has done. But we also are going to spend time looking forward to all that is planned and uh, go through nuts and bolts of what God is doing behind the scenes. And so that's next Sunday afternoon at five in this room. Uh, if you consider Solid Rock your home, I hope, I hope you'll be here uh, for this time. It'll, it'll, be a, it'll be more than just a business meeting. It'll actually be a time of testimony and bearing witness to God's goodness. So come be a part of that next Sunday afternoon. All right, so we're in um, a series right now, if you're just joining us today and haven't been here, uh, entitled Created, and we're asking this really core foundational question, what are we created for? Like before we get to the, the, the idea of what are we created to do, we're asking the question, what are we created for? Like what's the why behind God saying, hey, let us create man in our image? Like what's the why behind that? And what have we been created for? And as we take this journey together, we've noticed that um, week one, we, we saw that we were created for worship. What we're created for will always lead to what we were created to do, but we don't want to start there. Like, we're, we're a busybody doing culture and society, but at the core of who we are, we're created as beings, human beings, not just human doers. And I think a lot of times we just get, get busy in life running the plays that are handed to us, and we never stop to think about why. Why are we doing life this way? And so last week we, we looked at how we were created for intimate connection with one another, um, that it's not good for man to be alone, that we are created for community. And so today we're going to do a part one of looking at this idea that we were created for mission, not just to do mission, but to like to be created for something means that it's it's inerrant, it's hardwired in us. And so as we get into this, I'm going to start in the book of Genesis like we've done the last couple of weeks and look at what God says about you and how you were uniquely made and like what you were created for. And then we're going to map that onto our lives today. Um, I'm going to start in Genesis chapter one, verse 28. This is right after God says, hey, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. Verse 28 says, and God blessed them and God said to them. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as God creates mankind, male and female, and places them in this universe he has created on this planet he has created and he tells them you're different from anything else in creation you're actually going to be over like fish and birds and beasts but he, he gives them this commission to be fruitful and multiply so think of it this way god in the beginning creates a space 
for his kingdom to exist, but then he just creates Adam and Eve, and the commission that they're on with God is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the kingdom with image bearers. Like, God could have done it a million different ways. He could have started with a million people. He said, I'm going to start with a ready-made kingdom and put a million people in this kingdom and be fruitful and just maintain your numbers. He didn't. He just created this, this space for his kingdom to exist. And then he hardwired in us to be on this mission to fill that space with image bearers. And so even before the fall, we had mission. I want to say it that way because so many times when we use the word mission in the modern day church context, we think of missionaries, we think of mission trips, and we think about this mission we're on as God's response to the fall. Like if the fall hadn't happened, we wouldn't have a mission. And so I think it's so important to start before the fall when God first created man to see that actually as human beings, we were created to live for a mission. It was put in you, it was put in me. That we would wake up every day and we would think about why we exist and what we're supposed to do that day. Now what happens is after the fall, things go awry and eventually if you continue tracking the story of humanity through the Bible, you'll get to the Gospels. Enter God's Son. This is beautiful. It's mind-blowing. Uh, Jesus comes to earth, the Son of God, and He's fully God and fully man. And if you think about this from like God's perspective, this eternal existing God for a moment makes himself subject to time. Like he unzips the fabric of time, steps into the world he created to dwell among us. And this is Jesus, fully God, fully man. Jesus lives this beautiful, perfect life. And then he gives that life up sacrificially to pay a penalty for sins. He's buried, he raises from the dead. And now he's about to ascend back to his rightful place. Like he's gonna unzip the fabric of time and step back into eternal existence now. And before he does that though, he says something to his disciples. He tells them that they have a mission. And I want you to listen to the mission that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 28. Verse 18 says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I'm speaking with the same authority that I spoke with in Genesis 1 when I created the heavens and the earth. And then he says this, here's your mission. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this component of being a human, like we were created for a mission, now Jesus speaks into that here and tells his disciples what the mission is. The mission is now what? After the resurrection, to what? To be fruitful and multiply God's kingdom with citizens once again. Like the mission that they are on is the same mission that Adam and Eve were given. It looks different now. But God has created a way for us to become citizens once again in his kingdom. And he commissioned his disciples to go be fruitful and multiply and make disciples of the nations. And that's the mission that you and I are on today. You were created for mission. 
for a mission, a specific mission, to be fruitful and to multiply and to partner with God in the filling of his kingdom with image bearers. You know, it's one of the reasons why we make such a big deal about sanctity of life. We're not interested in political debates. It's not like we're sitting around going, you know what, the human population is too low. Let's, let's come up with a way we can, we can increase the human population. Like the motive behind sanctity of life is seeing this, that every human life is created in the image of God with, these, with this inerrant value. Like the smallest of smallest humans, the baby, even in utero, has purpose to worship to engage in intimate relationship. Like, moms, that, that connection you have with baby right after baby is born, like even in utero, you have a connection. And that little baby was born for a mission and to be on this mission. Now, the book of Acts is uh, the next book in your Bible after the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different accounts, Son of God stepping in, to our, to our world, becoming fully man for a moment, then the book of Acts is the story of that mission launching. And in chapter one, Jesus has his final earthly conversation with his disciples in verse eight, and he says to his, to his disciples, hey guys, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be on this mission in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what Jesus is doing is giving this kind of geographic perspective. He's saying, hey guys, don't immediately move to Africa. Start in your neighborhood. Like start in your own home. Let's start in your own heart. And then from there, we'll move to your home, and then we'll move to your neighborhood, and then eventually this mission is going to reach the ends of the earth. And he gives the disciples this mission. Go make disciples. Be fruitful and multiply and fill God's kingdom with redeemed citizens. Now, we're going to move now into 1 Peter chapter 3, and what we're going to do today is really part one. Um, we're going to talk about what it means now to live our mission on, you know, in our everyday lives. And there's been, over the centuries, there's been a lot of debate between theologians and church leaders and pastors around what does that mean to, like, live your life on, on mission. And there'll be some who would say, um, you know, it starts with your lifestyle, how you live your life. And they might say something like, hey, um, share the gospel always, and if necessary, use words meaning that the sharing of your faith or the sharing of the gospel, the telling others about God begins in your own lifestyle, the way you live your life, okay? And then there would be others who would maybe debate that and say, hey, the gospel is never really shared. Hope is never really given until you use words. And at the far extreme end of this view would be, hey, there's not much attention paid to how you live your life. Just get the words right. And so there's been this kind of historic debate in the church around how this mission takes place. And so here's what we're gonna do. Um, my goal is to, to boil this down um, to the, the simplest form, to take what God has called us to do, called you to do, and make it extremely practical for you 
so that after today and then after next week, the idea of living as a missionary in your own life may not be near as intimidating or as daunting or as confusing, but like super simple on how we live out this mission. And we are going to start, first of all, with how we live our life. See, the background of 1 Peter is really important. So Peter um, is writing these letters to Christians who are being severely and brutally persecuted specifically because of their faith. So at this point in time, we're towards the end of the first century, like all hell has broken loose against the church, and the government has given authority to persecute and to belittle and to mistreat Christians, even to the point of death. And so it's in this context that Peter's writing verse 15, and he says this, guys, like, hey, people are going to ask you, if you live your life a certain way, people are going to ask you about that. And so we go to verse 15 of chapter 3, and he says this, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy. Okay, Peter, how do we do that? He says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it in and with gentleness and respect. And so what Peter is saying is, listen, I know the world is against you right now, but if you live your life in a certain way, people are going to ask you about it. People are going to come up to you and say, hey, tell me about what's going on in your life. Like, why have you not just denied the Christian faith and walked away? I mean, this has cost you so much. Like, you know, you have friends and family members who have died because of this faith. Why do you still hang on to Jesus? And he's saying, hey, always be prepared to give an answer to that question. We think about what Jesus said in Matthew um, chapter 5. There's a, he uses a couple of like metaphors to describe the Christian life. Uh, in one, he, he'll say, hey, you're the salt of the world. And then in another one, he'll say, hey, you're the light of the world. We're just going to read the light of the world here. Verse uh, 14 out of Matthew 5 says this. Jesus is speaking. He's saying, hey, you are the light of the world. This is your life. It's, a light, it's the light of the world. It's like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. He says this, that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead they put it on what? A stand, and it gives light to all the house. So like the idea is, I, he's saying, hey, I want you to live your life in such a way that it adds light into the world. And then he goes on to say this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven and so jesus is saying like hey how you live your life matters as you do good works in the world people are going to see that it's kind of like a a city on a hill they can't not see it or like when you walk into a, a a dark room and you you light a match like you live your life in such a way that people will notice how you're living your life and so we are called to do good works. Now, we aren't saved by good works. God is not impressed by our good works. God does not have a hierarchy in his kingdom for those who are like varsity good work people. But at the same time, we are called to do good works. So like for you, 
You may have come here today going, man, I just don't know what, how I'm living my life. And then you heard about these tables and you're going to stop by one of the tables on the way out. And the next thing you know, you're like, that's it. I'm going to go volunteer at one of these pregnancy centers. And so as you, if, if that's what God puts on your heart and you go do that, as you serve and you interact with other humans and do good works, what Jesus is saying, that's like a match lit in a dark room. Those good works will be seen and those who see those good works will actually lean in towards God and give him glory. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul talks about this as well. And he even explains the idea of living a salty life. In Colossians 4, verse 5, he says this. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Live your life in such a way that outsiders would look at you and see wisdom. Then he goes on to say, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so as you interact with other people in your life you bump into people you spend time with people and you begin to engage in conversations and somebody asks you he's saying like let your speech be salty what do you mean by that he said, hey, let it be gracious. In the same way God has been gracious with you, like bend that out towards others and they'll be drawn to you. And so how we live our life does matter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, this will be the last example I'll use here. Um, it's, it's a super helpful illustration, but I'll be honest with you, it's been really convicting for me because now the metaphor is this. You actually are living letters of recommendation. Have you ever written a letter of recommendation? Um, that's an intimidating thing. Like, you want to get that right. Right? Because how somebody reads that is really going to impact a big decision for somebody's life. If you've ever written one before. Um, if you ask me for one, I've got one I've written that I just spend a lot of time. I just copy and paste. I just say all the good things about you I said about whoever else. I'm just, I make sure that it's personal, but like that's an intimidating thing. A lot's riding on that letter of recommendation. So look at what God says about your life and my life. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 2. He says this, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered to us or delivered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone but on the tablets of the human heart so what Paul is saying to the church like people in the church is the letter was writ written to like us he's saying hey you are God's letter of recommendation. The way you live your life commends God to others. Live your life in such a way that recommends that others might notice who God is and might be drawn to who God is. Now, it's super helpful and pretty convicting at the same time, isn't it? Here's what I want to do now. If I stop here and just send you on your merry way, 
All I did was load a, a backpack with about 100 pounds of moral obligation and strap it to your back, and then I'm sending you out into the world. Right, that's heavy. I've got to live my life as a light? What happens when I get it wrong? What happens when I need light? I'm supposed to always be gracious in my speech. What happens when I get hurt or frustrated or angry or scared and I misstep or misspeak? God's letter of recommendation, like, that's a lot of pressure. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear two words. This is the key to what God is calling you to. Sincerity, not perfection. If you heard God saying, you've got to get this right or nobody's going to get saved, that's perfection. And, and A, you're not going to be able to do that. B, even if you pretend like you can, that's not going to draw anybody to God. So for those of you who struggle with moral perfection and the appearance of looking like you have it together, I get it. I am one of you. But just understand this. If that's is how we live our life in the world, like we have it together. Jesus is first of all going to say, hey, you don't have it together. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look alive on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Number two, for the person who's lost and broken and looking for hope, that's not hopeful. Without the Holy Spirit in their life, like they're going to look at you and go, I can't do that. Now, I'm not, I'm not calling you or inviting you to go out and sin on purpose and just be a tool of a person. But here's what I want you to hear. You're not being called to be perfect in these things. You're just called to sincerity. To be sincere. Like if you do decide to go volunteer at a pregnancy center, that you would do it with sincerity. That you would truly go with them with a sense of compassion and, and love for whoever you're interacting with. The people who live around you that you work with, your neighborhood, that there be a sense of sincerity to your life. I want you to hear this. You can lead somebody to Jesus even when you sin against that person, if you respond with sincerity. Like, in the moment that you think you've blown it could be the most powerful moment of evangelism. Like, you think about that. If you have a coworker who's not a Christian and you've been trying to get it right in front of them for a couple of years now and they know you're a Christian, you know they're not, and they're, they're just waiting on you to mess up, and maybe you do mess up, and maybe you, you spout something off at them out of your herd or whatever and you sin against them, Listen, this is, this is evangelism. When you go to them and say, you know what? I just want to talk to you about something like, hey, I really feel bad about the way I, I spoke to you. Or, you know, I went back and looked at the email I sent you, and like, I just want you to know, like, I really feel bad about that. I was just, I was speaking out of anger, and I know it was hurtful, and here's what I want you to hear me say. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Oh, talk about living out the gospel. That's the thing you're inviting them to do with God. So the idea isn't that you live your life perfectly and never sin and never mess up, but you live in sincerity. You're real, you're honest, you're genuine about where you are. Don't pretend like you have answers that you don't have. Matter of fact, we're going to boil this down super, super simple. But here's a point I want to make. Like the world is watching. Okay, if you, think, you don't think that the world's watching Christians, Grab your phone and go to Google search and uh, just put in the words uh, Ravens head coach and just see what the first article is that comes up today. 
It's not about the details of the game and how they won and strategy and all these kinds of things. The very first article that came up on mine anyway was Ravens head coach quotes the Bible. Like that was the big deal about his post-game speech is that he said, hey, before I get into details about the game, I really feel like it's important to give credit where credit's due, so I'm gonna start here, and he quoted scripture. Like the world is paying attention to these things to the point where it's making headlines. You're gonna run into curious people and you're gonna run into critical people. I'll help you kind of know the difference between the two, okay? Not everybody who you interact with wants to hear what you have to say. But not everybody who you interact with is against you. Some are gonna be curious and some are gonna be critical. Either way, we're called to the same mission. I wanna make that point. Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are living in an environment where like 100% of the people are hostile and critical. But you're encountering in your everyday life critical pe people who are critical of Christianity, critical of your faith, and then you're going to encounter people who are curious. Here's, here's kind of what it sounds like. This will be, help you figure out the difference. A curious person might ask, hey, let me ask you a question. Why do you live your life the way you do? Like, why do you... Why are you so committed to going to church? Like, on your day off, why would you get up early and, like, wrestle the kids into clothes they don't want to wear? And, like, like, why would you do that? You hear the curiosity in that? Or, or a curious person might ask this question, like, hey, how do, you, how do you hang on to hope when things get so hard in your life? Like, I've been watching you for the last couple of years, and I've watched you go through some things, and yeah, sometimes it's like you have it together. Other times it looks like your life's a mess, but I've just noticed that it just seems like you keep hanging on to hope. How do you do that? Or how do you make it through life when everything seems to be stacked against you? Or, hey, where do you, where do you go to to find that, that peace and contentment? Like I've noticed like, did you just have this, this peace about you that I enjoy being around? Like where does that come from? And those are the kinds of questions that like a curious person would ask. But you're also gonna get critical questions like, why do you trust a God who can't be seen or heard? You kinda of hear, that question's already loaded, isn't it? You might get a question like, why do you put hope in a, the religion that man made up? Like, why would you wanna do that? Why would, you, why would you believe an outdated book full of myths? Okay, so when you get those kind of questions, you are more than likely now interacting with a critical person. We're going to talk about how our, our job is not to discern between the two and like only lean in towards the kind people who are curious, but like you're going to, you're going to have both. You're going to encounter both. You're going to bump into both in your everyday life. And what Peter is saying is this. Here's the call. I just want you to always be prepared. I want you to always be prepared. Now what he says is this. I want you to be prepared to give a defense for the reason you have for your hope in Jesus. And if we just read it like that, it, it might almost sound like Peter's calling you to be defensive, um, but that's actually not the word in the Greek language. It's apologia. Um, and so that word is actually the root word for words like apology or the word apologetics, which those actually have two different meanings, but they come from this word apologia. And so he's saying, hey, I want you to always be prepared to give an apologia, which is an explanation 
to explain something. Well, what do we explain? Ex- always be prepared to explain why you put your hope in Jesus. And so what we're going to do today, and then we're going to come back next week and finish up, is, is this. I'm gonna, I want to do my best to help you have something that you can put in your pocket and carry it around with you every day. Um, my, my grandfather, when I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, I can remember being at uh, my grandparents' lake house down in, in, in Austin, and like next to the bed, they had nightstands, and he had a tray where he would drop all of his stuff in it for the day, his change and his whatever, he put his watch over there. And I can remember noticing this silver disc um, that always, he always pulled out of his pocket and put it into this tray next to his bed. And it was about that big, and it was silver, super shiny, but it didn't have any writing on it. And I didn't know what it was. And so I can remember asking my granddad one day, like, hey, what is that? Like, I, I know those are quarters, and I, that's your pocket knife. And like, what's that shiny disc? And he's like, oh, I'll tell you. And so he told me this story about how when he was about my age, just a young man, um, about to become a teenager, and his dad came to him and said, Elbert, that was his name, um, Elbert, I'm going to give you a gift, and you get to decide what you want to do with it. And so his dad had pulled out this shiny silver dollar, and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this silver dollar, and you get to decide what you want to do with it, but I'm going to make you a promise that if you'll carry that with you in your pocket every day of your life, you'll never be broke. Sounds like good grandfather wisdom, doesn't it? And the reality was he took that gift and he put it in his pocket and he carried that, that silver dollar with him in his pocket every day going forward. He never went anywhere without it to the point where now when I'm asking about it, it is worn so smooth and shiny, you can't even tell it's a silver dollar anymore. It's just this polished round disc of silver. Okay, so now I want to take that now to what we're talking about and say this. What I want to do for you is give you something you can put in your pocket that isn't overwhelming and intimidating. And this is what Peter's saying. I want you to have something in your pocket prepared. Carry it in your pocket every day. If you carry it in your pocket every day, you'll always be prepared to give an account, to give an explanation, to give an apologia for your faith in Jesus. Now, let's do this. I'm going to give you some examples here. We're going to... So today, we're talking more around what happens when somebody comes to you and asks you something. Peter's saying, be prepared, right, to respond, to give an answer. Next week, we're going to come back and talk about what happens if that conversation goes deeper. What happens if that person leans in and doesn't run away from you? But let's just talk through what that might mean for you to have something in your pocket to answer when somebody asks you. Here's some examples of what you could have in your pocket. Somebody says, hey, why do you put your hope in in Jesus? You could say something like, well, I believe in Jesus because I've experienced his love and transformation in my life in a way that nothing else worked. You could say, well, for me, believing in Jesus gives me meaning and purpose and like I just... I feel like my life is anchored to like hope because he's in my life. You could say, you could go into apologetics. I find the historical evidence around Jesus's life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. I find it compelling and it invigorates my faith, like it increases my faith. And so that's why. 
You could say something like, believing in Jesus has brought me a sense of inner peace and, and fulfillment that I can't find anywhere else. Like, I've tried other things, but nothing has brought me inner fulfillment like a relationship with Jesus. You could say something like, well, I've just learned that like when I live my life according to his teachings and his word, that life just seems to work better. Now, which one do you pick? That's Peter's point. You've got to figure out what your answer is. You need to be prepared to always be ready to answer the question, why do you put your hope in Jesus? Not why does Pastor Jason do it or Pastor Nick or the elders or your community group leader or your mom or your grandparents. Like, seriously, like, this is the question being asked. Why do you, not asking about your spouse or your friend or why do you put your hope in Jesus? And so here's the homework. I want, I want you to go home with that question. Even if you think you already have the answer, fantastic. I want you to go home and I want you to sit with that question. Sit with the question, why do you? If I could call you all by name right now, I would. And just say, why do you? Nick, I'll call Nick by name, he doesn't mind. Why do you, Nick, like, I know why I hope in Jesus, but why do you hope in Jesus? Eddie, why do, you, why do you hope in Jesus? Not Jackie, but you. Why do you put your hope in Jesus? And I just send you home with that question and to think about that. And then when you have an answer to that question, when you have your answer to that question, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put that in your pocket and carry it around with you every day, and you'll never be broke. You'll always be prepared to give an account and to answer the question, why are you a Christian? Now, I think we would be totally missing something here if we didn't hone in on what he said at the very end, that we would give this answer with what? Gentleness and respect. Not combative, not argumentative, Nobody has ever been argued into the kingdom. Winning an argument does not lead to repentance. Kindness does. Okay, so he says really clearly, now think about it. I mean, if this crew had a reason to be defensive and to bow up and like, get off me, like these Christians did. He's saying, no, 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 no. I know the world is against you. But give your answer with gentleness and respect. Why? Because we believe in the sanctity of life. You're interacting with another human who is created to be an image bearer. Now, if this is something that you struggle with, I just want to give you a little help that um, my actual personal counselor gave to me in a session where I was struggling. And I was struggling with a sense of like judgmentalism and a sense of defensiveness towards somebody. He's like, hey man, could I just, could I just read a a Bible verse to you, and I was like, yes, that's fine. <sighs> Paying you to fix me, not to read the Bible. He said, okay, here's what I want to do, and he read to me Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This Bible verse describes how Jesus sees the world. These are the words of Jesus in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he's looking out at just this mass sea of people, he had compassion for them. And that's a good starting point, but why did he have compassion for the mass crowds of people? Because they were harassed 
and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Every human who you come in contact with who does not have a relationship with Jesus is harassed and helpless and like a sheep without a shepherd. Some of them will come to you in humility and and gentleness and curiosity, and some might come with their chest bowed up and their hands in the air and a little bit defensive. But what Jesus is able to do, and so instead of like reacting, he just takes a step back and he's like, man, I've actually got compassion for you. You don't even know this, but I know that you're being harassed. And that's what sheep do when they don't think they have a shepherd. They get defensive, they get ugly, they, get, they bite and they do mean things. And so Jesus is able to like see that and go, you know what, my response, compassion. And so I want you to think about that the next time you're in a conversation that starts to get a little bit argumentative or combative, that instead of like responding by being combative, that you might take a step back, remember what Jesus said and go, you know what? I actually have compassion for you. I can, I can see, you may not say this out loud, but you say it to yourself, I'm actually, I can see your brokenness. And I can actually see why you're so defensive. There's somebody who's been harassing you. Satan has been harassing you. So I get it. <laughs> I get it. This is what sheep without a shepherd do. And you're able then to respond in gentleness and respect. What I want to do now is just finish by reading a couple sentences here and then we'll, we'll ask some questions. So here's the thing I want to say is you can't bully or argue someone into faith. Faith is a personal response to hearing about Jesus and believing. It's the combined work of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel, and a person's willingness to surrender to something bigger than themselves. In either case, whether the person you're talking to leans in or walks away, I don't think your words are wasted. I think this is where we plant seeds. But this can also be the very moment that God gets the other person's attention and they may be willing to go deeper and to ask questions and even ask you this, how do I get what you have? What do I need to do to be where you are? And so this is where we're going to stop today, and we're going to come back next week with what happens when the conversation goes deeper. What do we say then? <laughs> what are the words? What do we, and we'll do that next week, but I want to end with some questions for reflection today. And the first question is this, is I want you to think about how you live your life. Do you currently live out your faith in a way that draws others towards Jesus? This is a super convicting question. I'm not asking you to tell me. I know there's a critical voice in your, in your head that tells you that, you know, you blow it all the time, but just a legit question around how do you live your life? Do you think about that? Do you live your life as a city on a hill? Not perfection, but sincerity. Do you engage with others with sincerity around you? School, teammates, workmates, neighbors, even within your own home. Do you currently live out your faith in a way that draws others towards Jesus? Here's the next question. How could you better prepare yourself to explain your faith to others with gentleness and respect? Just gave you some homework. Maybe if you're not quite sure, even after doing the homework, grab another Christian that you trust and just share with them, like role play. Hey, ask me the question. The one from this morning. And then, and then practice giving your answer. Listen to yourself say it out loud. 
You're not, you're not trying to perform or get it just perfect, but just making sure it does reflect your own heart. What could you do to be better prepared to explain your faith to others with gentleness and respect? The next question is this. How do you feel about situations in which your faith might be questioned or rejected? Maybe, you may be going into conversations already bracing for rejection and you don't even know if it's going to happen. But like, how do you feel when you think about somebody rejecting you? Like, what comes up for you? I, I, don't, I don't know the answer, but I would encourage you to, if, it, if you can think of something, like, what's that attached to? Like, if it's fear, what are you scared of? And maybe find a Christian you trust and just share that with them. Like, hey, I had this thing from this morning. Jason was talking about it. Like, holy cow. If I imagine me being in that scenario... I feel paralyzed with fear. And then talk it out. I'm like, okay, well, what is it that you're afraid of? What are you afraid might happen? What are you afraid might happen to you? And just talk it out and be known in. Let that other person kind of help you sort that out. And the last question is this, and this is for all of us. What reason do you have for putting your hope in Jesus? That's the question. And have the answer to that question in your pocket, carry it around with you every day, and you'll never be broke. You'll always be prepared to give an account, to give a reason, apologia, for the reason why you call yourself a Christian. I want to pray for us now, and, and as I'm praying and our band comes out, um, our uh, prayer partners will be over here in this corner and this corner, and we said this last week, our prayer partners come to church every Sunday looking for somebody who's looking for them. They're looking, if you want somebody to pray with you, like, that just warms their heart, and like that's why they showed up today. So grab a prayer partner, let them pray over whatever's going on in your heart and your life. And if a question came up today about the church or about something that, that I said or somebody else said today, um, I want to make myself available and our other elders as well. Come grab one of us after the service and, and let us know what your, what your questions are. We'll do our best uh, to answer them uh, to the best of our ability. Um, but let's, let's pray together, and then let's worship together and respond. Um, Father, thank you for this reminder today that, God, we are uh, more than just church attenders. We're part of a, a family. We're part of a kingdom. Um, as citizens in your kingdom, um, Father, you've given us this mission, and you've created us for it. And, and God, we just want to be honest. It can be super intimidating, uh, even confusing to know what we're supposed to say and when do we say it. So I just thank you, God, for making that super simple for us today as a starting point. Father, knowing that um, we can come back and we can continue the conversation and continue to grow and what, God, what it means to live our lives on mission for Jesus every day. I pray over this room. I know that people are gonna leave here today and, and they're gonna begin bumping into curious people and critical people and the students over here are going to go to school this week, and they're going to be bumping into friends who, who aren't Christians, and the adults in the room are going to be going to work or going to other spaces where we're bumping into people. I, my prayer for us is that we could go into those spaces this week um, understanding we were created for, for a mission and that our eyes would be open and we'd be looking for opportunities, God, uh, to respectfully and gently share the reason why we put our hope in Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.